This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read God's Word this morning as it is found in Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. The verses that are especially pertinent to the teaching of Lord's Day 22, which we consider this morning, are verses 25 through 27. But we read all the verses of Job chapter 19. Then Job answered and said, How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have ye reproached me. Ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed ye will magnify yourselves against me, and plead against me my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me, and hath compassed me with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. He hath stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone. And mine hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle. He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my fam familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Yea, young children despise me. I arose, and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do ye persecute me as God, and are not satisfied with my flesh? O oh, that my words were now written, O oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. 
For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. But he should say, Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that he may know that there is a judgment. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Psalter to Lord's Day 22. Lord's Day 22, where the Heidelberg Catechism is explaining the Apostles' Creed in its section on the Holy Spirit regarding the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee that not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting? that since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, May the confession that we find both in the Apostles' Creed and in the Word of God in the book of Job be your confession this morning and be a confession which is more and more sincere. A beautiful confession we find in the book of Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. A striking confession, for Job confessed this more than, two, more than 1,500 years, about 1,800 to 2,000 years before Jesus Christ the Redeemer even came. Job was probably a contemporary to Abraham. He lived around that time, and the book of Job is written probably as one of the first books written of the Bible. He lived in the land of Uz, and there in the land of Uz, Job didn't have a Bible himself. He didn't have the written Word of God before him as we do today. Job lived in a time before that Word was inscripturated. And yet, God in His 
power and by His Holy Spirit revealed the Gospel to Job early, early on in the Old Testament so that he could confess the same confession that we in the New Testament 2,000 years after Christ confess. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that He shall stand in that latter day. and In my flesh I shall see God. Astounding. Because of how early in the history of this world Job lived. Astounding also because Job made this confession during severe suffering. You know the history. God in His sovereignty controlled Satan and the events of Job's life to take away from Job all of his possessions, all of his children, all in one day. And then God in His sovereignty allowed Satan to take away Job's very health so that his body was covered with miserable boils. He was sick and worse as Job 19 is explaining. Job himself complained and was in anguish because he felt forsaken by all those around him during his suffering. That made it all the worse. His so-called friends came to him as he sat in the dust, as he was scraping his sores with that pottery, you remember. And they came pointing the finger at Job, accusing him of committing a specific sin, a particular great sin in his life. Instead of comforting him, they persecuted him, Job says in Job 19. They slandered him. And Job knew He knew that he was a sinner. But he also knew that it was not because of an impenitent sin that he was suffering. But his friends insisted on it. How long, he says in verse 2, will he vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? Have pity upon me, verse 21, O my friends. It was more than his friends. Job reveals to us here in chapter 19 that everyone had forsaken him. His friends in particular were now attacking him, but everyone had left him. Verse 13, my brethren are far from me. Verse 15, they that dwell in my house, my maids, they count me for a stranger. And verse 17, my breath is strange to my wife. You remember she had said, Job, just curse God and die. Job feels forsaken by everyone around him and thus also feels forsaken by his own God. He's at rock bottom, we would say, the lowest of lows. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, in verse 25 and following, Job is able to drown out the accusations of his friends. He is able by God's grace to put aside his own murmurings and pain and through it confess with faith and hope this beautiful confession. And his confession here in Job 19 is really the same in its content, as what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. I believe, 
the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. God use His Word so that even in the midst of our own suffering, if we suffer as Job did, we may have the same faith and hope. Believing the resurrection of my body, first, the redemption of the body, second, the raising of that body, and then finally, the certainty of that resurrection. Today we seek to remind ourselves and understand better the truth of the resurrection of our body. But before we can understand that miraculous work which we are directed to think upon, we must first understand who is the one who does that work. The Redeemer Himself. The very one who raises that body. For beloved, without the Redeemer, there is no redemption of the body. Many people in this world of nominal Christianity, many people in this world of pagan religions and cults, when you speak to them, will tell you they believe in a certain kind of resurrection, even a resurrection of the body. But without faith in the Redeemer, in the true Redeemer, there is no hope, no real certainty of any resurrection and salvation as a whole. Job believed and confessed, and we believe and confess the resurrection of the body, but first, we believe and confess the Redeemer. I know, Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. My Redeemer, that's who I believe. About 2,000 years before Christ, He along with Abraham and other patriarchs, knew the same Redeemer as we know today. They were in covenant, the same kind of covenant of grace with their God. They knew their Redeemer, the head and mediator of that covenant. They knew this Redeemer by the same faith that God had given them as He gives us today. Now admittedly, admittedly, those in the Old Testament like Job many years before Christ didn't have as clear of an understanding of this Redeemer the Holy Spirit was not yet poured out. Christ Jesus Himself had not yet come in our human flesh. And so there were some details perhaps of that Messiah, that Redeemer, that Job didn't know that we know today. But to a greater degree than we often imagine as New Testament saints, those Old Testament people knew the same Redeemer. That word redeemer is a rich word. It should be familiar to you. It refers to someone who makes a great payment or a ransom price so that he might with that ransom price deliver his beloved from bondage, from poverty, even from enemies, bringing vengeance upon those enemies that he might save his people. In the Old Testament, that word redeemer is often used to refer to a kinsman, a, a relative, one who pays a price in order to deliver a family member from bondage, from poverty, from no children. You think of Boaz in his work of kinsman redeemer of Ruth and her family. A redeemer was someone who paid a price with money sometimes, 
but he would also make a payment often with blood. And that is on the forefront of the redemption of Israel, you remember, from the bondage in Egypt. God is called Israel's Redeemer when He redeems Israel from bondage in Egypt. That, as you know, was on the basis of blood. There was a Passover lamb. Blood was shed. And then there was also the shedding of blood of the Egyptians as God's vengeance was brought upon the Egyptians, the enemies of His people, to deliver them from bondage. Such redemption in the Old Testament, both by Boaz and by God in bringing Israel out of Egypt and the many other redemptions that took place in the Old Testament, even in the ceremonies of their worship in the temple, pictured for us the saving work of Christ, the Redeemer. Stunningly, Job, before Boaz, before the redemption from Egypt, he understood to a degree Christ the Redeemer. One who would come to pay a price. One who was ordained, 1 Peter 1, 18-20, one who was foreordained before the foundation of the world, who would pay a price, 1 Peter 1, 18 says, not with silver and gold, but with His precious blood as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Joe believed in this Redeemer. He knew this Redeemer needed to come because Job knew himself as a sinner. Now he knew that he had not committed a specific particular sin for which God was punishing him during his suffering. He insisted against that as his friends brought those slanderous accusations. But Job again and again through the book of Job confessed his sin. In chapter 14, verse 4, we read, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Job there was confessing his own sinful nature, that all of his works were tainted with sin. He knew his need for the covering over of his sin. Verse 4 of the chapter that we read, chapter 19, verse 4, Be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. I know I have sinned, I have erred. Many of those errors are hidden within myself. He confessed his sins. He knew his need for a Redeemer. And thus he speaks here in verse 25 of that Redeemer. One who would pay for his sin. For the salvation of Job from sin. From bondage to sin. Job not only confess his faith in the Redeemer, but notice, he had a personal faith in this Redeemer. The only kind of faith that the child of God ought to have. This coming Messiah, he says, is not just the Redeemer. He is my. He is my Redeemer. My Redeemer. It's really the same thing as what we confess in Lord's Day 1. I am not my own, 
That's my comfort in life and in death. I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, both in life and in death, to Jesus Christ. Job was confessing that. I belong. I belong, body and soul, to this Redeemer. I am His, and He is mine. I know, Job says, not only that He is my Redeemer, but He is my Redeemer who lives. He is living. Job confesses the eternality of God the Son. Perhaps he didn't understand it all as completely as we understand it today. But Job confesses that God the Son, His Redeemer, has been living. His goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He would not begin to exist 2,000 years after Job in the womb of the Virgin Mary, but this Redeemer was living. And now notice how Job is prophetic here. Not only is he living, but Job is prophesying that this Redeemer will continue to live. So that when death came upon him later on at the cross, death would not keep him. We in the New Testament confess with Job not only that the Redeemer has been living from eternity as God the Son, but on the third day after His death, He lives. He lives. I know He lives. For He rose on that first day of the week. He lives. Job prophesies of the resurrection of the Messiah, His Redeemer. This Redeemer has come to save each one of His elect people. To redeem them, as Job confessed and prophesied, both soul and body. His Redeemer of both the soul and the body. We emphasize and the body today. And the body. My comfort in life that I belong to that Redeemer, both soul and body. He's a Redeemer of my soul and my body. And there are many applications that come forth from this. That He is a Redeemer of my soul and my body gives us a proper view of our human bodies. Through life and death. Through death and life. Ladies, Men need to know this, to have a proper view of the body, the human body, too. But ladies, women, you must have a proper view of your body, especially in this world, where that proper view of the body is attacked and attacked so much, especially with, especially with regard to the woman's body. God's perspective, the Redeemer's perspective, is the perspective that you and I, we together, must have regarding our body. Your Redeemer tells you this morning in His Word that He loves you 
He loves you and has redeemed you as to your body. Not with the kind of love that is lust, which is really no love at all in this world. But a true, holy, divine, eternal, unconditional love. He has chosen His people with that love. He doesn't love every single person, soul, and body in this world head for head, but He does love you, His people. He has. 2,000 years ago, your Redeemer came to save you, not just your soul, but in love He came to save you as to your body also. That's why, you see, when God the Son came, He took upon Himself not just a human soul, but He took upon Himself your human flesh and blood, your body, a human body, so that He might suffer, yes, to His soul, but also so that in His body He might suffer to suffer for you in your place to represent you. For man must suffer for man's sin and for his sister's sins. A human must suffer in that body to save your body. That's what He did when He came. To save your soul and body from sin, from Satan's bondage, and from death. Remember, remember your Redeemer. Who didn't, who didn't just come with his soul. He came with his body. If he didn't care about your body, he would have seen no need to take on your flesh and blood. But he did care. And he does care. And then within your mother's womb, that Redeemer, the same Redeemer who purchased you body and soul, fearfully and wonderfully made you, according to Psalm 139, formed you in love with particular characteristics, with particular strengths and weaknesses in your soul and your body, with a plan for your soul and your body that He had loved from eternity and that He had redeemed. And in that soul and in that body, this body, He does dwell. That's how much He values His people, soul, and body. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You're bought, ransomed, redeemed with a price. Therefore glorify, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your Redeemer says this morning, I have purchased you. And having purchased you, you are mine. And I am yours. And I make my abode inside of you. This body is not even your own. This body belongs to me. And therefore... You may not hate your body. Your Redeemer says, I love you, soul and body. Not because you deserve it. 
But I love you, soul and body. You may not do with your body and soul whatever you want. You may not say, it's my body. I can do with it whatever I want. That's a lie. Your Redeemer says otherwise. That body is mine. You may not give, to your, give your body to any lusting man and woman out there. The body belongs to Christ and then to your husband or wife. You may not kill this body. You may not cut this body and harm this body purposefully. You may not starve this body. You may not overindulge in food and smokes and drugs and drink to harm this body. You may not idolize this body either. The Redeemer is God, not this body. And you may not minimize the grief and sorrow that comes in death and call this body just a shell. It's not. This body is part of you, which God, your Redeemer, has loved and purchased. and will raise one day. My Redeemer liveth, Job said. And we confess, my Redeemer lives and with the same life but the same life that he has, having raised his own body from the grave with that same power in life, he will raise this, our body. Because I live, Jesus says in John 14, 19, because I live, ye shall live also. Oh yes, death will come in his providence. Many of us have walked through that difficult valley of the shadow of death recently. Many of you are walking in that valley today. You feel the aging process on your body. You know the cancer is there or has recurred. And in God's sovereignty, He does bring His beloved to sleep as to their body in death. When he does, the catechism explains to us, he immediately brings our souls to himself. My soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head. There's no delay, the catechism insists upon. Immediately. The soul does not remain in the body, does not sleep in the body. Immediately it is brought. I am brought as to my soul. To glory. Psalm 73, verse 24, which we sang in Psalter number 202, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Just as the Redeemer said to the thief on the cross on his dying day, so he says to us on our dying day, today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 43. 
We're confident, we say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, willing rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord, that is, with our souls. But the emphasis of Lord's Day 22 and the emphasis of Job is the resurrection not only of the soul, but of the body. This my body, Job says. This my body. Notice how he emphasizes that, Job does, by the power of the Spirit. In my flesh, Job says, shall I see God. Not another's, even. With mine eyes, in my flesh, I shall see God. I believe, we say, at the grave of our beloved. I believe the resurrection of this body, this one. This, my body. The Belgian Confession does the same thing in emphasizing this. Article 37, describing this resurrection, their souls join and united with their proper bodies in which they formerly lived. The same body which goes to the grave, that body, our Redeemer will raise in love for He has purchased it as His own. Now three descriptions to help us meditate on this. There's a mystery here, but three descriptions. This body that He will be, that will be raised in that latter day is material, even in a proper sense, physical. Just like this body today is material or physical. It will be a body that is tangible, touchable, visible of elements. We will have a frame. We will have a face, eyes and hands. Matter is not evil of itself as pagan philosophies teach. But matter which makes up our human bodies, will be there when Jesus raises us from the dead. We will be material, physical. For beloved, if we're going to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb, if we're going to enjoy not only the new heavens, but the new earth, we must have, we will have material bodies. This, my body, means that. Secondly, it means a human body. We're not going to have an animal's body reincarnated into such. We're not going to have angels' bodies, even though we will be as the angels according to our relationships. We will not be angels. We will be human. We will not be robots, stocks and blocks. We will not be either absorbed into the divine so that we become God. No. We will maintain our humanity. We will be human beings with material bodies. And third, with individual identities. You will not be an unidentifiable mass of people. Clones one of the other. No. But there will be diversity as you are united one with another. In Christ, there will be diversity. Unique persons with unique souls and unique bodies will be raised. 
you will be able to distinguish Jesus' human body, I guarantee it, from Paul's human body, and Paul's human body from your human body, and your human body from another person's human body. This my body. Together with God. Glorified. Glorified. This my body, the catechism says, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. Yes, sown or planted in the ground, 1 Corinthians 15, in corruption, but raised in incorruption, meaning never able to die. Never able to take on any disease, any cancer. Again, immortal, imperishable, life everlasting, we say. Planted, yes, sown in weakness, but raised in power, no longer with muscular weakness, mental weakness, no wheelchair, no cerebral palsy, no Down syndrome, no Crohn's, no gout, no depression, no broken bones, no weakness, no fainting spells. We will mount up with wings as eagles. We will run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Raised in glory, meaning in beauty, for the beauty of God Himself. Without shame, without sin. The Redeemer shall do this. He Himself. Now notice how Job confesses this, as it were, facing the reality of death. All his children, all his children who just died, he himself feels his body coming to the grave. He does not ignore the reality, as ugly as it is, he does not ignore the reality of death. He speaks of it explicitly, and he faces up to it. I know, he says, that the process of decomposition will take place. My skin, my skin, after my skin, worms shall destroy this body. I know that. He faces right up to it. Yet I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because of that, the dust unto which my body does become will be raised. This my body shall be with and see God. It's good for us. It's not pleasant for us to go to that funeral home as many of us have to see that body to stand at the grave and see that body we with our children our children too 
And though it's sorrowful and it's difficult, God intends that we ponder this, face the reality of death. It's real. Don't ignore it like the world. Don't make a joke out of it. Face it. And confess in the face of death. In my flesh, in this flesh, I shall, we shall see God. And the gospel becomes all the more dear to you and to your children. Job had a certainty about it. You can hear that certainty. I know it. In the face of death, I know it. I know my Redeemer lives. That certainty is part of faith. Faith is a certain knowledge and assured confidence. Do you have this certainty? How does one have this certainty? The same Redeemer, the same Redeemer who has redeemed us, who has paid for us, who has loved us from eternity, the same Redeemer who has died for us and risen from, raised Himself from the dead, the same Redeemer is the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, verse 1, and He works that faith in us, He joins us to Himself, and He causes us to have this assurance and this certainty. He gives us faith. He says this morning, He speaks through His Word, believe as Job did, believe in the midst of affliction, believe in Me, the Redeemer. And the Holy Spirit takes that Word and He strengthens that faith. He stirs within you that hope. The substance or confidence of things hoped for, the evidence or assurance of things not seen. Hebrews 11, verse 1. And one method that the catechism focuses us on with that word preached, one method of strengthening our faith is this. He points us to our joy. Notice that. Since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation. Through faith He gives you a true joy in your salvation. Do you have that joy? Even as you hear God's Word this morning. Oh, there is... There is an ebb and a flow to it. We don't always feel it so strongly. But have you? Do you feel the joy when that Redeemer speaks to you of what He has done? When He shows you that He has paid the price fully for your salvation? When He shows you that He is your righteousness? That He has joined you to Himself and that you have fellowship with your God? that He will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you hear your Redeemer and have joy when He tells you that He has saved you so completely that He loves you both soul and body, that He will raise you? Do you have that joy even in the midst of sorrow? You find joy 
As He works in you His Spirit to live unto Him in good works also, you find joy in that. This joy, the catechism means, is evidence. It's evidence that you already have eternal life inside of you in your soul and body. You already have eternal life. And because that life is called eternal, you must have that life forever. You must. As with your soul, and then also with your body. You must be raised. That eternal life and joy within you now proves it. It's evidence of it. And one day your joy will be made full. Psalm 16. That will show me the path of life. And in thy presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. In thy presence. You know what's going to make you most joyful in heaven? When the Redeemer raises your soul and body, yes, there will be joy in that. You will have no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. You will be with, you will be with, together with all the beloved in Christ. You will be without sin. But this will be your joy. The fullness of your joy more than anything else. Job says, In my flesh shall I see God. Not just with my soul, but my flesh and with my eyes. These eyes, but renewed, I shall see God. Think about that. We can't over-speculate that. There's a danger there. There's also a danger that we don't ponder that enough. We shall see Him as He is. I shall know Him even as I am known. How precious that is. Flesh and blood. This flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but because He will raise us soul and body, this raised, this glorified soul and body will be able to see our God. Does that thrill you? Does that thrill you? Is that not your joy? And when you stand before this face of God and know Him as you are known, You will not be boasting about your soul and body that's glorified. He's given you this soul and body exactly for the very purpose of praising Him, the Catechism says. To the praise of God therein forever. What a sight. What a sound. What joy that will be. You won't feel tired doing it. You won't feel sleepy as you do sometimes in church. 
You won't be distracted again. Perfect praise of your God in soul and body. God's people find joy in that. They delight, they delight in that hope. And that joy is evidence to them today. Certainly, certainly, my Redeemer who has already begun a good work in me will perform it in that day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.